Hey, welcome to week two in our new summer series called The Real You. The goal, like I shared last week, is for us here at Sanctus Church to end this ministry year with the foundation of our faith and how it affects, informs, and grows the core of our identity. That's why we actually called this series The Real You. Let me ask you these questions again. What is the most important aspect of your life? What is the most significant? What is the most overarching theme, the most influential factor? Well, it is this, whether you believe it or not. You are a child of God, and you became a child of God through the work of Jesus, if, of course, you're a Christian. But that's only half the story. I started last week's sermon, let me do it again, with an amazing quotation by Neil Anderson. The most important belief, he writes, we possess is a true knowledge of who God is. But the second most important belief is who we are as children of God. And here's, by the way, the amazing part. Because we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. In other words, how you act and how you think, how I act, how I think, truly reflects what I believe about myself, about God, and what God says over me. So today we're going to look at another incredible truth, another aspect, another marker of who you are as a child of God. That is this. <laughs> you are favored by God. If you, if you look up the word favored in a thesaurus, this, this is what you'll hear. You're blessed. There's kindness towards you. There is grace over you. There's a friendliness between you and God. There's goodwill, regard. Here's an amazing word. There's partiality in the best of ways. God is partial towards you. And lastly, another word that's connected to this is backing. You have God's backing. God has favored you in Jesus by the Spirit. Ah, but we need to stop right here. <laughs> we need to make sure that we're talking about the right type of favor, because as humans, even as Christians, we confuse God's favor with our favor, and they're fundamentally different. One of my favorite insects are ladybugs. Uh, in early spring and then in summer, I just like them. They're cool. I don't mind if they fly on me. Some people freak out. I don't. So one summer, I'm sitting. A ladybug lands on me. I'm looking at it. I'm observing it, and it bit me. And I was totally shocked. I could not believe that a ladybug bit me. Never in my life had a ladybug bit me. And so I went to the famous Google and Googled it and found out something. There are ladybugs, and then there are something called Asian lady beetles. They look almost identical, same face, same backing, a little difference between orange and red, even can have the same dots. Ladybugs are kind and passive, but oh, the Asian lady beetle, aggressive, angry, and biting. Now, I want you to keep that image in your mind because the ladybug and the Asian lady beetle look exactly the same, but are not the same and end up with different results. The same thing with favor. One type of favor brings blessing and beauty. The other one bites and hurts, and the difference matters. One's from God, and actually one's from us. And it is profoundly hard to tell the difference until it is too late. So God's invitation in this sermon is for us now at this moment to discern 
what type of favor is existing or not existing in your life? And what type of favor do we really want? And what type of favor should we build our identity on? Now, last week, we started with Abraham, originally Abram. And the identity marker was we are called. We, we didn't choose the calling. He called us. And the result was he became the father of nations. His wife became the, the mother of nations. And so we talked about how that affects us. But in that story, do you remember that God promised Abraham, not only he blessed the whole world, but he promised a piece of land that he was standing on and said, this is going to be where your ancestors will live. Fast forward, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob marries two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Leah has seven children, six boys, one girl. Jacob also has four other boys through Rachel and Leah's handmaidens. They become his concubines. Now, Rachel, during all of this, has no children, cannot have children. She's barren. Now, in this culture, this was not only incredibly painful, like infertility is today, but it was deeper than this. In this culture, the perspective was the gods or God himself had actually judged you so you could not be pregnant. So it was spiritual condemnation and also became a place of rivalry between women. And so Rachel was living with a broken core identity. She prays to God. God hears her prayer, answers her prayer, and suddenly miraculously, she's able to conceive and she calls her son Joseph. Now, this is all going to matter as we get going. Rachel, like Sarah and Rebecca, all were unable to conceive. These are the matriarchs for God's people, the mothers of the Jewish faith, and actually the mothers of the Christian faith. And yet God chooses to give each one of them the ability to have children, though they cannot have children. And the point is to remind us that each pregnancy is an act of God and their significance because of it. So finally, Rachel has a son, and the son is named Joseph. And Joseph will be talked about more than any other person in Genesis, even more than Abraham, which is crazy. And God's hand is on Joseph in the most significant of ways, but we're not there yet. Okay, back to Joseph's family. In the middle of the story of Joseph's family, Jacob and all his wives and kids decide to go back to the land that God had promised their ancestor, Abraham. So they're on their way back to the promised land, and two massive family tragedies take place. First, Leah's only daughter is raped terribly, the brothers retaliate by killing all the men in the vicinity where it takes place. So vengeance killing. And when all this takes place, the sexual assault and the killing, it says that Jacob does nothing. He's just passive. He just goes, yeah, I heard about that. Problem one. Now the story moves on. After this great tragedy, God meets with Jacob. Jacob has an encounter with God. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. So he's where we get the name Israel for the Jewish people. He's the first Israel. Jacob to Israel, and God reaffirms all the promises to Abraham to Jacob and says, I'm going to bless the world through you. This is going to still take place. So tragedy, blessing, tragedy too. Rachel has another son, Benjamin. But while she is actually in childbirth, she dies. 
And Israel, formerly Jacob, goes into deep mourning because Rachel was his favorite wife, which, by the way, again, if you're already starting to see the pattern of dysfunction, this is very concerning because he loved her more than anyone else. And in the middle of loss and favoritism and dysfunction and sexual assaults and vengeance killings, Joseph is around six years old. This is the family that Joseph is growing up in. Now, if all of this is not tragic enough, it says when they actually arrive in the promised land, Reuben, who's Jacob, Israel's oldest son, decides to go sleep with one of his dad's wives. Genesis 35, 21. So Israel moved once again, pitched his tent beyond Magdal Eder. And while Israel was living in that region, Reuben went and slept with his father's concubine. And watch this. And Israel heard about it. And Jacob had 12 sons. So his oldest son sleeps with the mother of two of his half-brothers. This is incest, by the way. And it seems that dad says nothing. Actually, this act sits in the family for the whole run. As Israel lays dying decades later, he chooses to speak or bless each one of his 12 sons as he lay dying, which is the classic Middle Eastern tradition. And listen to what Israel says to Reuben on his deathbed. Genesis 49.3, Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Whoa. For you went onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and you defiled it. That's his dying blessing words to his oldest son. So you're like, John, why are you telling me all this? This is Joseph's family. You thought the story was about some technicolor dream coat. No, no, it's technicolor crazy land family. Now, if you read the description of the brothers, most of them are lustful, lying, vengeful, and angry. The family is marked by deception, rebellion, rivalry, and Jacob slash Israel is passive and never steps in. So now in the middle of all of that, we come to Joseph himself. Now remember, we're looking at favored or favor as the God-given identity marker. But again, let me go back. Don't read this too quickly and grab the wrong side, the dark side, the human side of favoritism. 11 years later, Joseph is 17 years old. Israel loved Rachel more than anyone else and loved her son more than anyone else. And this is where we begin to see the unholy favor grow even more. Genesis 37.3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his, of his other sons because he had been born to him in an old age and he made an ornate robe for him. So Joseph is favored by his dad. And let's again, not get ahead of ourselves. This is not the favor we're talking about connected to your identity in Jesus. I love years ago when that older famed pastor Chuck Swindoll once said, fathers, and I can add moms, tend to favor the child who is easiest to raise. It's difficult to deal with a child that is hard. And since Jacob had 11 who were really hard to handle, he favored the one that was a delight to his heart. So what does he do to show his favoritism? Well, the famed ornate robe, what the King James Version called the coat of many colors. So what was this? Well, if you actually read it in Hebrew, the words mean the tunic had a long sleeve that went down to his ankles and covered his wrists. That, that's what it means in Hebrew. Like, again, think about a long tunic. So it was long. It was expensive to make. It might have been full of many colors, though we're not sure. If it was multicolored, 
then the dyes and the cost of the dyes would be massive and extravagant. There's overtones of royalty in this coat, but most scholars point out actually that the length of the coat is showing that he's being groomed for management, not labor. You don't shepherd and hunt in this thing. But overall, this is an overt public display of Israel's favoritism of Joseph over the 11 brothers. Ungodly favor, dysfunction at its worst. Let me bring this into 2020. This would be like a dad giving his 17-year-old a brand new fully loaded BMW M4, which starts around eighty-six dollars to $89,000, but if you load it up, probably around one ten dollars to $120,000. And he gives this BMW M4 in front of all the other brothers, many of them now fully grown men, and says to them, isn't it amazing that your 17-year-old brother gets this BMW, he so deserves it, and then he says, and the rest of you are great too, here's some bus tokens, I hope you continue to enjoy transit. Good luck on the TTC. So we should not be shocked by the next verse. When the brothers saw that their father loved him more than anything else, or any, any, of, them else, any, any of them, they hated him and could not keep, speak a kind word to him. I don't know if you, I mean, many of you know the story, but maybe you've never caught this. They never spoke a kind word to him. They hated him. Can you imagine the, ten, the, the tension, the hate, the animosity, the backbiting, the jealousy, the power plays? Let me put it this way. There was never rest in this family ever. Thank God that in his mercy, he uses unperfected people and remains a perfect God. Amen. Think about it. God uses this family? Well, okay, good news for all of us, even in the middle of the summer. If he can use this crazy family, I suppose he could use any of us. So shocking that God walks into this mess, but he does. And when he does, the story changes. See, here now, God chooses to give sovereign favor, God-ordained favor to Joseph. And it has nothing to do with the human favor that's inappropriate in Joseph's life. This favor, as we're about to see, is going to shape him in the opposite way of family favor. And, and let me say this, the fruit of the favor shows who gives it. The fruit of the favor shows who gives it. Remember, God sees what's coming. God sees that his people will die of starvation. God sees that all the nations will be blessed through this family, through Jesus Christ. This family must do what it's called to do. And so how does God move the ball forward? God gives Joseph two dreams to point to his future role, to save his family, to leading his family, and to set the stage for the next phase of God's work on earth, and also to remove false favor and establish God-given favor. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And he went and he told his brothers, and they hated him all the more, if possible. Listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because the dream and because of what he said. Undeterred, 17, <laughs> he has another dream and told it to his brothers, not taking the hint. Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, when he told his father, as well as his brothers, this dream, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? 
Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow down to the ground before you? And the brothers were jealous of him. The father kept the mind, uh, the matter in mind. Now, nowhere in the story, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that he was supposed to share these dreams. See, they're from God. They're true. This is the beginning of God-given favor, and he's called by God. Oh, but ready? His character is not even close to catching up with his favored calling. But in time, the wrong favor, the family-given favor will pass away. It will be burned away. The God-given favor will take root, and his character will catch up with the real favor. But here, he speaks and tells them everything. Now, I'd never caught this till this week. Maybe you have. His mom and his dad and his brothers in the second dream, but his mom is dead. Why is she there? Because what's happening between the first and second dreams is showing all of us that the preeminence of Joseph isn't just going to be in his family. He's going to surpass Israel and Rachel, the great leaders in the Jewish moment, because God's plan is even bigger than him. Well, things go from bad to really bad to terrible. Time passes, the hate grows deeper, the bitterness grows more and more, and then it boils over. One day out in the fields, you can read it in Genesis 37, 23, Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he's wearing, and they took him, they threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. There's no water in it. And they sat down to eat their meal. Wow. And they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and their camels were loaded with spice and balm and myrrh and they were on their way to Egypt. Judah, one of the brothers, said, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? In other words, if you read the story, they were planning on murdering him. Wow. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. The brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled up Joseph out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, Hold on, I know there's a lot of story here, but stay with me. <laughs> this is going to directly affect you personally and your identity. I love years ago when John Piper once said this about this part of the story. He says, I think God often reveals or revealed his purposes before accomplishing it because when it finally comes to pass, it will be clear that God had to do it. But there seems to be another purpose for the dreams in this story. They actually help produce the fulfillment. They make Joseph's brothers so angry that they sold him to some Midianite tradesmen on their way to Egypt. The irony here is terrific. By sending Joseph to Egypt to get rid of the vain dreamer, they set in motion the very events that will fulfill the dream. And this is what I love. That's the way it is every time we try to resist God's purposes. We will always wind up fulfilling them. Always. So the story goes on. The father begins a deep period of mourning, just like he did over his wife, Rachel, because his son, his favorite son is dead. His brothers carry on a terrible secret, but what's due in this crazy family? Joseph grows up and becomes a young man, a young adult, as a slave. But he's sold into this home, Potiphar's house. Potiphar works directly for Pharaoh. He's actually the captain of the guard. God gives him favor in that house. He puts him in charge of everything. And then there's this little point in the Bible where it says, and Joseph was really good looking. It's just sort of right in there, like really good looking. 
and Potiphar's wife likes what she sees. Now, if Joseph, lean in, (laughs) had seen and learned anything from his father and his brothers, he had been taught, take what you can get, lie, break God's law, human achieve favor matters. But we already begin to see that God-given favor has started to change him deeply. Genesis 39, 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties. None of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. And he left his cloak and he ran out of the house. Amazing. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, of course, she feels humiliated. She called out to the rest of the household servants, look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came to sleep with me and I screamed. And when he heard me scream, For help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out. Now, Joseph is in profound trouble. I mean, this woman's husband is the captain of Pharaoh's personal guard. So he has no rights because he's a slave. He's just been accused of sexual assault. He hasn't done it, even though he had been taught by his brothers to do it. And he goes to jail. And in jail, God gives him favor. And what's amazing is it's slowly removing lying, cheating, and sexual sin. And the God-given favor is growing deeper. See, God shows favor to Joseph in the middle of the jail. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. So Joseph, if you read the story, is in jail for two years. So easy to read that. Oh yeah, go to the next verse. No, 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 sit with this. Two years. This is critical to our understanding of God-given favor and adjusting our expectations in a culture that says everything must change or be done now. See, when we hear that God loves us or we're called or we have the potential to become the mother and father of spiritual nations or we're favored, we instinctively go, life will not be hard. We're children of God. We're favored by the most high high God. So, whoa, 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 two things. God's plans and God's glory are more encompassing and more important than us. Second, God matures those he favors. The character is growing in after the right favor is given. God-given favor is burning away human-achieved favor. I love when one person was reflecting on those two years when he wrote this. Two full years for Joseph were not exciting or eventful. They represent a long, monotonous, unspectacular, slow-moving grind. Month after month of, well, nothing. (laughs) That's what it's like when you're in a waiting period. Nothing happening but wait, 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 wait. On the other hand, it only seems like nothing is happening. In reality, a whole lot is happening. Events are occurring apart from our involvement, strengthened, established, perfected, refined into pure gold. That's what's happening. You see, Joseph is being shaped for greatness. All who God uses greatly are first hidden in the secret place of his presence, away from the pride of man. It's there where our vision clears. It's there where the silt drops from the currents of our life, and our faith begins to grasp his arms. Abraham waited for the birth of Isaac. Moses didn't lead the Exodus until he was 80. 
Elijah waited beside the brook. Noah waited for 120 years for rain. Paul was hidden in Arabia for three years. The list does not end. God is working as people are waiting, waiting, waiting. Joseph is being shaped for a significant future. I mean, that's what's happening. For the present time, nothing. For the future, everything. So God is burning away human-learned, family-given favor, manipulated favor, name-dropping favor, half-truth favor, human-door-opening favor, Instagram posts that look one way but are not true favor, take things that are not yours favor, manipulating environments so you end up better favor. And this is being replaced by God-given, ordained, God-rooted favor, God-freeing favor. Now, God doesn't only just speak to Joseph in dreams. In the jail moment, near the end, God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. This was God's plan to save his people and to raise Joseph up. So one person experiences Joseph's almost like spiritual gift, ends up back in Pharaoh's court, and then God sovereignly, do you keep seeing this? God is always orchestrating things everywhere. <laughs> God sovereignly gives dreams to Pharaoh that he cannot interpret. And the chief steward goes, actually, when I was in jail, I knew a guy. And so then it happens. Genesis 41, 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Watch the response. Oh, I can't do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God... Oh, he'll give Pharaoh the answers he desires. See, here again is the next sign, the growing evidence that God-given favor has rooted itself at the core of Joseph's identity. No promoting his brand, no hints, no subtle words to look better, no work to to secure his job or or life. He simply says, well, actually, uh, it's not me at all. Um, And I know by saying that I could go back to jail, but God, um, he's the one who's given me this favor. I don't even understand, but it's him. God does this stuff. Are you still interested? One wrote, to manipulate the moment, to drop hints. Somehow in the loneliness of those recent years forgotten in prison, he learned to let the Lord have his way in his life, in his timing, and for God's purposes. Absent of selfish ambition, Joseph refused to promote himself. How many of us have maneuvered or plotted to get our own way only to live to regret it? Some of the most embarrassing memories many people have is actually when they schemed or manipulated to acquire the thing and they finally get it, it slips through their hands. That's not the kind of promotion Joseph wanted. Well, he interprets the dreams. And it says in Genesis 41, 39, since God, Joseph is there and Pharaoh says this over him, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning or as wise as you. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. <laughs> Prime Minister. And yet God is not done. As the dreams were predicted and said, a famine sweeps across the whole known world. And his family comes to buy food in Egypt because Egypt is the only nation that has food because of Joseph's leadership. Can you imagine their shock when their dead brother is now in charge of the country, has the only one who can give them food, and has their lives in his hand? 
Now, if he followed family favor, what he had been taught by the family, secrets, lying, violence, and revenge, then he could have hurt them, jailed them, abused them, killed them. But what does he say at this most grand, shocking family reunion moment? Genesis 45.4, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, here's, here's the evidence. Do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God, verse 7, sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, oh, but God. By the way, if you live in families, you, you know there's always stuff. But even beyond families, we all know that we still have lingering thoughts. I wonder, if you read the whole story, Israel dies. And right when Israel dies, the brothers get profoundly afraid because they're like, dad was our cover. And now we're going to see the true colors of Joseph and actually see he still is our brother. And he's going to act like we used to act. Because he's got all the great power and the protection's gone. And what does Joseph say in Genesis 15, 50, 19? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph had been taught his whole life, his formative years, six, seven, eight years old. Sexual sin was okay. Passivity was okay. Violence was okay. Lying was okay. Human achieved, self-promoting, scheming favor, even in a godly family. But now we see it's been replaced by God-given favor. And let me say what I said near the beginning. The fruit of favor shows who gives the favor. Now, if you're a Christian, I know not all of you are that are listening, but if you are one, you are positionally favored by God. There is no doubt about it. Notice, Joseph did nothing to earn God's favor. There was nothing that he did to prove himself to God, to make God bless him more. Favor was nothing but gifts. He did nothing to get it. That's what divine favor looks like, by the way. And now, unlike the example of Jacob only loving one son, all of us are given the same favor as children of God through Jesus. I referenced Ephesians last week. Let me do it again. Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to God and our Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual favor, blessing in Christ. I've done this many times before. Let me do it again. If you really want to know your identity, just read Ephesians 1. It's just, it's shocking favor. It says that we're saints already. We have grace we have peace with God. We're included in Jesus. We are chosen and called and foreknown. We're all adopted children into a family that we never should have been invited into. We're sons and daughters of God. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. We're sealed by the Spirit. We have guaranteed physical resurrection. We are God's possession. And if, if that's not enough, if you flip over the chapter to Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ and has seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's not tomorrow. That's not an eternity. That's now, which means the power that rose Jesus from the dead, that's conquered sin and death and Satan, is ours. 
We are in him. We are saints. We, we are blessed. And so when evil comes, we can say, no, in the powerful name of Jesus, you have to leave. I'm seated with Christ. That's true of every single Christian on earth. That is why we can all claim to be favored children of God. And when lies come, or our heart accuses us, or people attack us, we can respond with a secure identity, I'm a favored child of God. Yes, in the pure sense, we are the apple of God's eye. We, we are in the holiest sense, we are robed <laughs> appropriately through Jesus' work. And everyone gets the robe, the ornate robe. All of us get the coat of many colors through Jesus, and we're made right. But let me say this again. God is sovereign. And God's sovereignty and timetable cannot be changed. And his glory and work are more significant and are more overarching than our identity. So yes, we're favored and it's important. We need to live our lives there. But this is critical. Those who understand that they are favored by God and really believe it, here's the action. Remember, we're doing this every week. You've got an identity marker and then an action. Those who actually have allowed God-given favor to root in them actually begin to trust God for real. What's the famous verse about faith? Hebrews 11.1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Faith is not blind leaping, it's informed trust. Or one person wrote, faith means a certainty about God himself and what God has promised and acting upon his word. So, ready? <laughs> Those who really know the favor of God, not just intellectually, and believe the favor of God is true, who have it at the core of their identity, one of the greatest growing evidences of godly favor is crazy trust in the sovereignty of God. Your favor, uh, your, your favor is connected to trust and trusting his timetable and his sovereignty. So yes, you are favored. And by the way, if you don't believe you're favored, you are. <laughs> but the evidence of the favor growing in your life is actually his timetable and being comfortable with it. Now, let me just end this message with a dangerous question. The favor in your life, the favor you're trying to get, the favor you're praying for, or what's its source? A guy named John Walton once pointed out, we need to see the difference between Joseph's character as a model versus God as character builder. Most people, when they preach Joseph, say, oh my goodness, Joseph is such an amazing leader. He's such an amazing model. We need to model our lives after him. Well, yes, but actually, the real character in the story is God as character builder. See, Joseph's God-given favor over time was matched by character through God's hand. Not through manipulation, not through self-promotion, not through fear. It was God-formed. So actually, let me end with something I shared in the last series on spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. Remember we talked about biblical secrecy? Remember what Dallas Willard wrote? It was so helpful, sharp, comforting, uncomfortable. <laughs> he said, the desperate attempts for people to advertise themselves is truly unbelief. For it reveals they need the attention of others and not God's. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, a city in a hill cannot be hidden, so we will not be hidden in the acts we do to God. But secrecy, biblical secrecy, ready? 
rightly practiced, enables us to place our public relations department entirely, circle that, in the hands of God. Four key questions. Uh, Lots of connect groups are meeting over the summer. Maybe you want to reflect on this in your own walk with Jesus moments, but just do this. Number one, do you actually believe that you are favored by God? I mean, do you live your life out of the truth? Because it's true. It's already true of you. You are favored by God. If not, read over Ephesians 1 and wrestle it out. Two, do you trust in God's sovereignty that he'll work out all things to his glory and our good in the end? Really? Really. Three, what are you doing right now to build favor that might not be from God's hand but yours? In other words, do you, in your business, in your life, in your, all of it, do you feel more like Jacob and his sons or Joseph and God? In this moment (laughs) where self-promotion, especially through social media, has exploded, Have you placed your public relations department entirely in the hands of God? Four. This one needs to sit with some people. Specifically some. This is from the Lord for you. What painful moments have you now seen that God allowed, that God has used or redeemed to deepen God-given favor in your life And has it changed your view of those that did the hurting? You are favored. (laughs) Like we learned last week, you're called. And this week, you're favored. And it's true, and it's amazing, and it's a God-given gift. But take the time this week, this summer, to work out the difference between the ladybug and that Asian beetle. Take the time to work out God-given favor and human favor because the God-given favor, it's the one that brings blessing. It also trusts God to raise us up and bring us down and being okay with that. It's the one that brings eternity. So Lord, thanks for the moment. Thanks that we're favored. Thanks that we did nothing to earn it. Thank you that you called us. Thanks, Jesus, you died and rose for us. You pray for us. Thanks, Holy Spirit. You affirm that we're children of God. Thank you that we are favored. But Lord, my request in my life and in my friend's life across this vast church is that God-given favor would become clear and human-given favor would burn away. Yeah, only you can work that out, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope you had a great Sunday with us. Look forward to seeing you in the next few weeks as we continue to work out our identity or the real you, who you really are as God sees you. We'll see you all next week. 